welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I have Megan Leaders, who's the CMO at Silicon Labs joining us. And Megan is one of these marketers that's very open and shares some very personal elements of her journey, including the fact that she took a six-month sabbatical to focus on her family. And she did this at a point where she was just on that next step to become a CMO. And I think a lot of us get so scared about taking a sidestep in our career. It's really an inspiring story about how it allowed her to really focus on what's important for her both personally and professionally and come in and really find an opportunity where she could excel. And she talks on the second half of our discussion around how she's excelled and how she's pulled teams together. One of the areas we hit on on that is the balance between product marketing and thought leadership or content marketing. There's a great balance that she's taking with a company that is historically would have had a very product first approach, but has had to adapt to the digital world that we're in. This is a great episode if you're striving to be a CMO or you're figuring out how to unite the stories that you need to tell as a company. Here's my chat with me. Megan, I am really excited to have you here on The Marketer's Journey. Let's chat first about becoming a CMO. Tell us when that first happened for you. Perfect. I will. And, and first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a big listener of your podcast. I listen to it once a week on my daily walks around the neighborhood um, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've heard so far. Oh, that's great. You know, a lot of it started early days in knowing where I wanted to aspire to be in the marketing field. I knew I wanted to spend my time learning a lot of the different disciplines of marketing in order for me to be effective as a leader. And um, my current journey of, of getting to Silicon Labs as a CMO came about, as you may expect, uh, you know, recruiter calls and they, they try to entice you into the opportunity. But one of the unique characteristics of being a CMO is knowing the type of CMO that you want to be and what is the right fit for your leadership style, the right fit for what you bring to the table. Uh, Because, you know, you've met lots of CMOs that they may have specialties. They may be known for their brand specialty or their demand gen. And um, with me, I I have always found it important for me to be placed into a company where I could show the depth and the breadth of all the aspects of marketing and that really being brought to not just the C-suite and the other executives that I have to partner with, but really permeated throughout an organization. And that's what led me to this current role at Silicon Labs. So I, I, I want to go way back to the beginning for a moment because I, I like how you describe that you, you identify yourself as a broadly experienced marketer, but a lot of your original marketing days were very much in product marketing. When did you get that opportunity to broaden that? You know, and, and how do you suggest someone gets out of their comfort zone if they're currently a product marketer or a customer marketer or a content marketer? Right. Great question. And and you're right. All of us start with some sort of specialty. That's how we got to this company. I think that's one of the beauties of working for often that smaller company. And I am drawn, I've always been drawn to smaller startup companies and being in Austin in the early days, that's what we were surrounded by. 
And the unique advantage to those smaller companies was that you may have come in with a specialty niche area of expertise, but you saw an opportunity to where you needed to expand or they, you needed to lend a hand in order to help a team or a business grow. And that's truly what transitioned and allowed me to not just wear the product marketing hat and product management hat, but for me to diversify and say, there's an opportunity to go expand our demand generation efforts and no one's running it. Can I take that on? Even in my early days at LifeSize, LifeSize was a, was a company that did not sell direct. And here was a company that we were selling through a channel, but yet we had no dedicated marketing function assigned to, to leverage that channel. We didn't know how to speak to them, how to market to them, how to provide materials. And so it was a lot of hand raising and saying, hey, can I take this on? Can I add it to my plate? Um, and that's what really propelled the diversification of my background. But I also believe it's what is needed for uh, other individuals to say, hey, I've been doing this for a long time. I see where I can have adjacent benefits if I could transition and or um, volunteer for an additional project that might allow me to one day move into that more full-time. Yeah, it's a, it's a great example. And, and if people were to look you up in your time at LifeSize, a company that was later acquired by Logitech, you probably joined there. You had nine years and, and I see you started off at a manager level and by the end we're running marketing. How do you determine when there's going to be that opportunity to move because I think a lot of marketers, they think I've got to move careers. I got to jump to a new company, but you managed to really take your career to that next level within a company. Yeah, it was, it was nine years. And I, I look back at those nine years and at the end of the day, I feel like I worked for three companies in that time frame. And if those nine years weren't met with three very distinct businesses, three very distinct business models, and also owners, um, I think those nine years would have been harder to attain. But when I came into Life Size, I was employee 42. It was, I, you know, I was doing everything from folding T-shirts on a floor to um, answering the phone as a BDR for the moment because that's what was needed. And so uh, really, you know, rolling up my sleeves and figuring out what the business needed and seeing a company grow from 42 employees to 550, that was kind of that first phase of the company. And it was so fast paced, growing, tons of opportunity for me to diversify and have a breadth of experience. Um, but it wasn't until we got acquired by Logitech that then I wore a different hat within the company. I was working for technically a different company, a parent company that um, provided a few more guardrails for us to follow in terms of the brand and how our social efforts were going to be managed. And then globally, how our brand was perceived globally really lent itself to how we needed to speak differently to the buyers and to the customers. And so that was like another phase of that journey. And then the third phase is actually the separation from Logitech as the company now became a complete SaaS company. So we were in the business of video conferencing and selling hardware and software at the time was how we originated. But by the time we le I left LifeSize, we were now selling a SaaS solution and we were looking at a divestiture from Logitech. So three very distinct opportunities and companies. Um, and along that journey, I, I will say, I think people are very quick to see that, you know, a company's going through transition and they want to jump off the boat, right? They, they think this may not be good for me. And sometimes the people that have the best experiences and the biggest career opportunities are the ones that stay through that and raise their hand to be able to fulfill a void or to serve in a different capacity than what they did in the past. And that absolutely played true for me and some of the colleagues that I, I stayed with. That's great, Megan. And 
You know, what's interesting is you you had this amazing experience, this almost 10-year experience where you take this company through all these various stages. And I, I think this is maybe the most inspiring part of your story that comes next is that at that point, you would think you can go anywhere you want, right? Like, you know, CMO, here you come, raise your hand and someone's going to pick you. But you made a very balanced decision, if I can describe it that way, of, as you call it on your resume, being a chief sabbatical officer and focusing on family. Tell me about like the decision on that, the fear of leaving with all the momentum you had. Yeah, there was definitely fear associated with it. I think the biggest and most honest piece of the fear was how I was going to identify myself for those six months. So mentally, I had told myself I, I knew I needed a break. I felt very married to a company for nine years. Um, I, in fact, had had two kids while I, li- I, while I worked at Life Size. And I, I knew I wanted to spend some quality time with them, but I also needed a separation to figure out what I wanted to do next and what was the right type of company that was going to be best for me to venture into, given the age of my kids, given that I did want to be a mom, but also I am in a very much a career-driven leader. And so if I did not take a pregnant pause to say, how am I going to do that and really refine what my search scope should look like, I would have, you know, it's almost like throwing darts at a wall and you wouldn't have known if it was the right one because you weren't, you didn't take the time to really assess what and where you needed to be. And so those six months were um, deliberate. I turned down multiple great, great CMO offers. And I had several CEOs that were willing to work with me, but they just couldn't wait six months. Um, And so those were hard, but I had to be honest with myself. And I, I, you know, I talk about this all the time because I get this question by other, not just women, but, but men too are looking for, can I take a true change, a time out for my job and come back? And the answer is yes. When you have value to add in whatever capacity of marketing that you, you do, there is always a job out there. And there is always a network of marketers that are willing to help you when the time is right for you to jump back in. And that was probably one of the most critical pieces of my six months off was realizing that I was confident that I could come back in six months, but I certainly was going to ensure that I met with as many marketers as I could and business leaders. And I wasn't asking them for anything. I just wanted to network with them. I just wanted to to know about their business and how it worked. And um, you know, one of the best examples is I called up the CMO of Yeti and I'm right down the street from Yeti's headquarters. And I said, I'm just fascinated with your brand. And could I just have lunch with you and, and ask how you think about brand strategy? I had no job. I was not looking for a job. I just wanted to figure out is working for a company like a Yeti something that was in my horizon? Or did I want to go down the private equity route? Did I want to work, go back into the VC world? and maybe more of a around one or two company. Those were all questions I had to ask myself and be very authentic about what was going to be right for me and my family at that time. But I absolutely knew at the end of the day, I was going to, I wanted to be a CMO in whatever that role was, but identifying that right company and the people and the team I wanted to work with had to be top of mind as well. Like one of the, the words that I picked up there that I really liked was confidence and this, this mindset of, Balancing uncertainty as you're very vulnerably being open about, you know, you're not sure which way you want to go, but being confident so that you take that next step. And as you said, some women, some men may be worried about taking that break and killing the momentum. 
you managed to use this time with confidence to go and take that next step forward. How do you determine how you show that vulnerability and how you also show I'm the right person? Yeah, it's um, it is definitely a balance. I think I was very, like I said earlier, I was I was very hesitant to even know how to identify myself. Um, you know, I've I've been Megan Leaders, the head of marketing somewhere my whole life, and to take a pause, I was just Megan Leaders. Um, I was a mother of two. I I didn't know what else came with it, right. and so even in having those discussions and trying to determine where I wanted to go next, I I did have to remind myself what got me to this step in my career to date is what's going to carry me forward. And I just had to trust in a network. I had to trust in my skills and I had to be confident that I was going to be able to, to, to do it on the other side. I was going to turn out just fine. Um, but there was certainly moments of scariness there. And I went into every discussion being very honest with the recruiter, as well as the, the CEOs that I met with um, as to why I was taking a sabbatical why I was taking a time to reflect on what is going to be best for me and an eventual company where I'm going to be placed because I want to give my all, but it has to be a good marriage. And um, I think many people are so quick to make a decision without really processing what and how this could have implications at the home life or how it could have bigger implications to the business if it's not right, if you sense something that's not. And I have met with tons of executives and I've been very much wooed and wowed by, by multiple companies. But when you take a step back and you realize that this is just not the right fit and here's why, because my skills really better align with a company that may be going through this change or this transformation, then it's a much easier conversation and a much bigger opportunity for you just to be confident knowing that the right opportunity is going to be around the corner. Couldn't agree more, Megan. That's great. Great advice. And we're going to take a little break, not, not the same type of break, but a, a break to hear from our sponsors here. We're going to go deeper with you. We're going to switch over and talk about the buyer journey right after a quick message. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. As you hear Megan talk about taking this six month sabbatical and owning it as an opportunity for her to, of course, focus on family, but also focus on where her career is gonna go. I think every one of us can take something from this, whether we have a child at home or whether we're just struggling with where we are. So often when we're looking for that next career opportunity, we make these quick rash decisions. We do so in a matter of days or weeks when that opportunity is put in front of us. Not all of us have the luxury of going and taking six months in all cases, but imagine taking more time. Imagine really trying to chart out where you want to get your career to, what type of marketer you want to be, and what path is going to get you there. That's what Megan's done, and I think every one of us should be doing that more. 
Be more strategic, be more purposeful. Take that opportunity that's gonna let you truly excel and be happy. Megan, so I wanna first take a moment, let's help everyone listening understand what does Silicon Labs do? It's, a, it's an exciting company you got to join. What was your motivation around their vision? Yeah, so in a nutshell, Silicon Labs is, we're in the semiconductor space and we are all about building a smarter, more connected world through the type of chips that we build. So if you think of anything in your house today that is connected to wireless device, your maybe your Nest thermostat, your Lexas, your Google devices, um, your ovens, even the cars you drive, they are all assembled with chips, lots of chips. And Silicon Labs is in that space and we are very focused on um, the internet of things business. Gotcha. So when I think of that type of industry, I often associate a very product-driven background needed. And, and we talked earlier that you've got a product background, so I'm sure you're able to come in and take care of all those needs that are you know, required from sales to have the right product sheets and white papers to get people confirmed. But you know, the world's changing. And I'm, I'm wondering how you have adapted to that expectation that we need you know, a buyer journey that starts well before someone's ready to buy. Yeah, you are 100% right. You know, our primary audience are engineers, uh, t very technical people. They are used to consuming white papers and data sheets. But as you mentioned, and, and as we've all seen with being at home for the year, the acceleration on the digital front has not only been here, but it absolutely got propelled into a whole new level over the last 12 months. And I believe it will continue to um, into perpetuity reasons. Uh, what we have seen and what we've needed to do and what drew me to Silicon Labs was the need to look at the buyer's journey with that digital lens on. Uh, traditionally in talking to engineers, you were giving them a data sheet and a white paper, but those same engineers have an appetite to consume information about you way before they get maybe into the weeds on the, the details of different products that we have. And that meant, how do we invite them to learn? How do we invite them to workshops? How do we invite them to understand kind of how protocols work and how to make different decisions on that? And in trying to educate that those users and those engineers, um, we also started to expand the insights of a buyer's journey that perhaps may not have been either invested in or really understood because we also needed to build a backend engine that could provide the analytics and the insights that were explaining how the buyer's journey is not just about this tail end or the opportunity stage that we all think about, but there's a whole front end that has to be consumed. And if we can better understand what all those digital touch points are, in some cases, some physical touch points, because maybe we had seen them at a trade show in the past, but how collecting all of those data endpoints really influence how the buyer's journey is transitioning and has transitioned and how we need to evolve our entire marketing strategy is only going to benefit the entire company, not just the product team or not just marketing, but it's insights that have to be shared collectively throughout the organization, um, right down to our sales folks and customer support engineers, as well as um, obviously the folks that are really focused on building the, the data sheets and the, the white papers and so forth. 
you make it sound a lot easier than it probably <laughs> is with a company that's grown quite a lot doing it the old school way. And and you and I were chatting about your own website earlier and the realities of, you know, a lot of these semiconductor type companies and semiconductor is not the only example of this. They're very product driven. You get to their website and it's like, these are our products, come buy them from us. I'm sure even, you know, when you were at LifeSize, very product driven was was probably the view. What's unique when I come to your website is now I can you know sign up for an academy, like you said, sign up for a virtual talk of sort. How do you get everyone in the company to buy into selling that way? And and I'm not just talking about the marketing team and you know getting that real estate on the website, but you know talk to us about even just getting the salespeople to lead with thought leadership. Yeah, it's a great question. And in fact, it's probably the, the challenge that I was brought on to do at, at not just Silicon Labs, but even Xenos. Um, if you had looked at their website, you know, five years ago, when I before I got there, it was the same thing. It was just full of product specifications. And it was what I called very black and white, very matter of fact, um, data. And it was not very customer friendly. And so how do you transition a company? How do you transition an entire set of executives who were also brought up with the belief that it's only about what I call the speeds and the feeds. It's not an overnight sensation. And you suddenly don't come in and say, oh, I'm the new CMO and this is how we should do it. It's baby steps. But some of those baby steps result in just showcasing what a program could look like. So I didn't flip the switch overnight and say, tomorrow we're doing all these webinars or we're doing all these tech talks. It came with, in some cases, suggestions from sales and just being an a listening ear to what sales thought could be done differently or how we could service the customer better and showing, take a little idea and let's expose what marketing could do with it. And in other cases where marketing was the lead on an idea, again, we came to the table, not just with a verbal concept, but let's show it. And then let's show what we believe the metrics could be and how those metrics would would actually flush downstream as well and to, to influence the middle of the funnel um, conversion rates. But that was not something that could just be verbalized. It really had to be shown and then proven. And um, in proving it, it was also making sure that we didn't, we did not overstep and we brought everyone to the table. So we invited, you know, product was very much at the table with us. Sales was very much at the table with us in discussing kind of the capabilities that we could expand. And that's true for, for both Silicon Labs and my previous company, which was very much a technical audience and was not used to being marketed to, and how could we provide them with value-rich content? And I believe that still at the end of the day, any buyer's journey is usually met with their customers craving, give me something that is gonna be of use to me, right? If, you, if I wanna call you because I've got a question about your product, I will pick up the phone to do that. But otherwise, tell me or influence me by giving me something of value, whether it's an ROI calculator or um, an interactive tool or some stat that would help them in their business. At the end of the day, I believe every customer is built to want to consume information like that to date. That had not been really the, the interest or the type of appetite that I would say the companies I've worked for it had. And uh, we had to take methodical steps to get there. Speaking of those steps that you had to take, you know, that's a big step. And you talked about taking baby steps, but, you know, moving from we, we've categorized product brochures and, and ebooks and things like that, very, very technical documentation to thought leadership and training. 
Do you feel like you can get the same marketer often to make that baby step, to make that jump? Or is that part of building out a new arm of a team, you know, who's going to be more the thought leadership team, whether it's a content marketing group, a digital marketing group? How do you think about just the team structure to, to take this step? Yeah, it's a very fair and accurate question, especially when you are coming on board to a new company where you are inheriting a team, right? And you don't even know what, what, you're, what you're looking at. Um, oftentimes, it's just that education to, to expose what can be done with marketing. And I have found that the difference between product and the difference between, I'll say, thought leadership and more creative campaigns often does take a different person. They, they likely are not the same. It's unique when they are. Uh, but they have to be close compatriots. They have to really feed off of one another because again, the thought leadership content will only be so valuable if it is rich with data and statistics that likely that product marketer knows. And then the product marketer has to have a little bit more empathy in how they're going to market or have a little bit more creativity in how they're going to market. So that partnership between the two is critical. And that's today how we're set up as an organization is we've got kind of a, a business unit that's really focused on the product side. And then we've got a business unit that's very much focused on the uh, demand generation thought leadership side. And they meet almost daily and they influence each other, but at the same time, they have different sets of objectives of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and one is much more top of funnel and then other the other on the product side is a little bit more middle funnel. That's great. I, I'm just curious, just for everyone listening in and, and jealous of this strategy, how big is the team at Silicon Labs? How many people are we looking at in each of those? I know we're getting a little tactical here, but I think it's important to understand how do you bring those groups together? Yeah, so the so unlike certain companies where you often will have product marketing mesh within um, the the global marketing role, the product team is really a function of the entire business unit of what we call Internet of Things. So all those product resources. Um, the deep technical product experts sit within the, the business unit. And there is a subset of that team that works hand in hand with us. The marketing team that I manage has around 30 to 35 folks um, uh, on it. And that is inclusive of everything. The common functions you would think of from brand to demand, PR, comms, uh, analytics, operations. And many of these functions that I'm mentioning did not even exist 18 months ago. So the functions of marketing, I would say, prior to my arrival was much more of, of the brand events and, and comm side more so than the operations and demand side. Very interesting. Megan, this has been great. We're going to keep you around for one more short segment. We're already getting so much insight from you. A short break here on The Marketer's Journey. Megan and I just hit on their website, and I actually went to the Silicon Labs website. You can check it out at scilabs.com because I was interested to see how a company like this is adapting. And I think for many of us, we associate our website used to basically be a brochure. It was like our printed product brochure taken online. And especially for manufacturing-based companies, that was often the case. But for a lot of us now, we're doing our research well before we're ready to buy the product. We want to understand how these companies help solve for us. And what's interesting you can see there is they've adapted and a lot of us need to adapt. Our product is no longer what we lead with. We now lead with thought leadership, with content. Think about all the websites you go to where they have an analyst report. They have different perspectives on how their solution can be used. And as we discuss today this idea of 
product marketing or thought leadership or content marketing, I think the reality is where we're headed is those two different areas will continue to combine and tell one story that we can piece together to understand how product can ultimately be solved within a grander story of the challenges that we have as marketers, as buyers along that journey. Megan, you have shared so much wisdom with us and really opened up about taking a break. And this is the question I always ask is, how do you take a break? You did so better than most of our guests by doing it for six months. But how do you do that amid a week that feels like a six-day work week? Yeah, you know, we have all probably changed this answer um, just in the last couple of months with COVID and us being at home. Uh, in some cases, I'm very much forced to take a break because I have two very active children. And so whether it's a carpool or whether it's a, a game that I have to go watch, I do have that mental break and an hour of socialization, you'll call it, with parents talking about uh, a class or a schedule that you have to deal with. But I listen to a lot of podcasts, honestly, and Audible, uh, but I also take walks and uh, for me, if I can get outside in 20 minutes, that's one mile. And if I, I really try to walk anywhere from three to five miles every day, whether that's early morning or late at night, but that's definitely a form of separating and being able to think differently. But these podcasts, um, I'm true to make sure that half of my walk is spent on business podcasts. And then the other you know, portions of my walk will be on some sort of leisure of just listening to Audible here and there. Nice. What's your go-to leisure podcast? Um, the leisure, I will listen to everything from Mike Rowe uh, because they're short seven-minute snippets. So again, depending on how much time I have, and he's kind of like a Paul Harvey of telling a, the what the rest of the story type of antidotes. Um, then others, a lot of them are recommendations by someone at work will say, oh, you should listen to this. I've listened to a lot of Joe Rogan lately who just moved to Austin. So he's getting a lot of attention and people have me right. to him. Good stuff. Some some good ones to listen into. If you're listening into this podcast for the first time with Megan and enjoyed, please check, as she said, a lot of the other great guests that we've had on here as well. Every marketing leader's story is a little different. Everyone's journey is different. I'm sure yours is taking its own path. And one day, we, maybe you'll share it here on The Marketer's Journey. Until next time, big thanks to Megan Leaders for joining us. This has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.